Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. And brews. We have a packed show tonight. Uh, as always, we're going to start off uh, where I think it's appropriate to start off each time, and that's talking about beer. Uh, because if 2020 has proved anything, it's that beer should come first. And so we're going to start off tonight uh, with another one of our uh, brewer guests. Tonight, we actually have a two for one. Uh, so we are joined tonight by Mr. Dusty Steven and Ryan Kavanaugh, uh, both being co-owners of the Brew Bank downtown. So Dusty and Ryan, thanks for joining me today. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, we're excited to, to have you here. Uh, you know, for folks who have not been to the Brew Bank downtown, I have four words for you. Self-serve beer taps. Uh, it's probably the coolest idea that I've seen people bring to, to this community uh, in the last uh, few years. And by the way, the charcuterie boards and the flatbreads aren't bad either. Uh, so this is, if you have not been uh, to Brew Bank downtown, uh, run, don't walk. Uh, to get down there, you can uh, pick up any kind of any number of beers uh, to choose from as well as some some great food and so we're gonna dive right into things and just find out about the the genius behind uh brew bank so dusty right just as we get started where did this idea even come from we were really drunk one night i think <laughs> as, as all great ideas start <laughs> uh yeah ryan probably can talk about this um, better than I can, but it was really just a couple of friends that really uh, like craft beer and and always wanted to try the local stuff, um, wanting to know what people were doing uh, with brewing beer. And so we thought, man, it'd be really cool to have a place where you had it all in one. You could have all the local beers in one place and got to kind of try everything that they're doing. So that's really how the idea came about. Yeah, I think um, Dusty had seen this somewhere. Um, oh, sure. It was taking place in, in Brooklyn at the time. And and we thought, man, that would be really cool. And um, and then it, it was sort of the same time the um, top tank competition came about. And we just said, I mean, literally, like we wrote it down on a piece of napkin and decided we'll try our best and submit it and see what happens. And then um, we just kept moving to the next round. And um, so it was really kind of a hand in hand deal there. Absolutely. Yeah. For folks who might not be familiar with that history, uh, talk a little bit about Top Tank and kind of what that was and, and, and what that process was like for you guys. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was amazing. It really. uh uh, so basically what they did, there was a, a group of businessmen who decided that uh, they would put on a competition for a $100,000 investment into um, a new business idea for downtown Topeka. And we had already been thinking about our idea um, for a while when this contest came up. And we thought, you know what, let's just throw our hats in and see what happens. And so um, we were forced to learn a lot through that contest. I mean, we were forced to get a business this plan together that was sound and, and think about logistics and things where 
um, we were just a couple of beer guys before that. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it quickly escalated into you better be business guys, too. So um, that's how it that's how the contest came about. And then uh, to our dismay, <laughs> uh, partway through the contest, we find out that self-serve beer taps in Kansas is illegal. Oh, right. So, <laughs> Minor detail. <laughs> yeah. So that that kind of derailed and we were we were going to just uh, drop out of the contest and we had our first presentation and we told them, uh, you know, kind of gave them our whole spiel about what what we were trying to do, what we were trying to accomplish. But we said we can't be in this contest anymore because it, right now it's not legal. And they didn't even bat an eye. They didn't uh, even flinch. So we felt pretty confident at that point that uh, we had some good backing. Um, Ryan did the the heavy lifting with having to speak to the legislature and, and give speeches um, that really got us off the ground and got, got this thing done. And they ended up passing the law, and uh, the rest is history. We ended up winning the contest and, and got started. That's, that's awesome. So it's, see, it's you know as we as we talk about the importance of voting and civic engagement, there you go right there. So not only do your legislators make laws for all kinds of things like roads and and uh, things like that, but also beer as well. So if you have no other reason to vote, uh, knowing that your legislators can make it possible to have self serve beer taps, it's a pretty good reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was huge. It was a big deal when we when we first found out. We immediately contacted our legislature and said, "What do we need to do?" And so. Um, learning that whole process was a huge benefit to us. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, through the Shark Tank competition as well, part of the, the deal of that competition was you not only got the, the dollars to uh, start your business, but you also got access to the expertise uh, from those business people as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Very good. Can I just say a side note to everybody here? One of my favorite memories, actually, of Top Tank was that there was a person dressed as a shark mascot there, <laughs> and I was actually I was actually offered to dress up in the shark mascot costume, but I unfortunately could not be there that night. It is still my regret to this day. <laughs> to remember the shark. <laughs> yeah, so what? Awesome. One day, one day, that'll be my my goal. So. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have those lofty goals. Absolutely. <laughs> so, of course, you guys win the competition, uh, and then you actually, of course, begin the process to to build uh, to build and open your your facility. So, where did the idea for the food come about? Well, we uh, had talked with Javier and um, they, you know, they had done some Pedro and Javier Concepcion had done some local stuff that we had just really loved. We knew that they were really creative and uh, we kind of just said, hey, what could we do? And uh, they from the very beginning just really blew our minds. And, you know, one of the first things they said about what they wanted it to be when somebody got their food is that it had to be Instagrammable. Like before they did anything, <laughs> they wanted to take a picture and post it on Instagram or other social networks. And it's crazy how to the T that has come full circle. Everybody does that as soon as they get their, uh, their food. It's, it's awesome. That's right. I'm, I'm guilty of that. That's very true. <laughs> yeah, we, just, we just knew we wanted cheese balls. That's all we knew. Yeah, <laughs> that's our only idea. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere for sure. <laughs> 
That's yeah, they've they've just uh I mean Javier is just continually like our love for beer is similar to his love for food and creating it and it's it's just been a great partnership. That's awesome. Now for people who haven't been before, if they're for those one or two people that I'm sure there are out there that may not have been, uh so how does your your beer selection work? So I know there's a big focus on, on local Kansas beers. Yeah, so we we bring in beer from all over. We bring it um, all over the country, and we even get some exclusive German beers from time to time that nobody else can get. Um, but our main focus is local beers, so we'll get, um, of course, everything cool that people's doing, Happy Bassett, Blind Tiger, um, Iron Rail, um, uh, Yankee Tank. Uh, we, get, we try to get it, all of them in uh, frequently, so there'll always be some of those on tap. Um, we also like to go out to Western Kansas and see what we can get out there in Wichita and, and Kansas City as well. So sure. um, really celebrating Kansas and what Kansas brewers are doing is, is our main focus. Um, but there's always some amazing things um, on the West Coast and then on the East Coast that are happening with beer. And we don't want to ignore those. So we bring those in as well. Um, it's it's really been fun, you know, um, kind of learning what everybody does. Oh, sure. With their beer and how they how they get to the point where um, their beer is is one of a kind. And, and it's always an amazing process to me. And I know Ryan has a lot of experience with brewing beer, which I did not. And so it's been exciting to kind of see that process and, and kind of understand it and then see the art of it. So we try to get as many artists into the brew bag. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think a, a big part is we just we really would love to have beer here that you can't get anywhere else in Topeka. And then sometimes, like Dusty said, you know, there have been times where we were the only place in the country that you could get a particular beer. Um, when Guinness released their latest milk stout, we were one of the only ones to get it before everyone else did. And so we really just want to our question to all of our um, people is what do you have that no one else does or what do you have? that no one else is going to be able to get and we want it and we want it from all spectrums from the lighter stuff to sours to ipas to to the darker stuff as well and then our wine on tap has really grown as well we've been able to kind of push the limit there that uh, as more comes available we we always want the the newest and the best if we can get it absolutely and that's one of the things i love when i go in there is that you know no matter how often i go in there's always something new and different on tap and so it's fun to be able to, to try things and to see different stuff every time i go in there yeah as often as you are in angel there's still something new. <laughs> I know. absolutely so we change kegs every day so it is true there that's is awesome always something new that's what well, speaking of, of new things um so what are some of the new things going on right now i think i saw that you guys have a mixology class is that right <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of the new exciting things we're doing. We uh we have a, a great mixologist who kind of designed our signature um, cocktail list, our signature cocktail menu when we first opened. And so he is a uh, just a guru about spirits and the history of cocktails. So we wanted to partner up with him and then have him kind of teach uh, about these famous drinks that everybody's heard of from the old fashioned to the martini to the margarita and then have our talented bartenders make the traditional drink, but then make a brew bank twist on it. 
Oh, yeah. And so we bring in several um, guests in. You can buy tickets for the class. You get your own bar set up at your station, socially distanced, of course. Sure. It's for you and a partner. And then you guys get to um, make the drinks. And uh, we make uh, four total drinks that night. And you get to sample them all. And it's, it's a really good time, a lot of fun. Um, everybody's really enjoyed it. It's been a big hit so far. Oh, gosh, that's awesome. That's way cool. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be doing the uh, the next one will be the Monday before Halloween. We're going to focus on um, how to make some fun drinks for a Halloween party if you're having one. And um, it's all about during this time of COVID, you know, not only are more people having to stay in or choosing to stay in, um, but it allows us to kind of connect with our guests in a way that we haven't really been able to. Um, so we really provide a safe and clean and fun atmosphere and uh, people get to come out on a, on a Monday night or a Tuesday night and learn how to make some drinks to impress their friends. And Javi makes a great uh, kind of cheese ball appetizer plate with crackers and stuff to go cleansing palate and also, you know, take up the space to uh, help everybody remain able to drive home. So um, it's, a, it's a great time. And then in November, we're going to start doing um, beer dinners where we, um, the goal is to uh, hopefully have some brewers come and speak uh, and pairing with beer and Javi's going to have a special menu and do courses throughout the evening. And um, so we'll keep everybody posted on that as we get further along, but we've got some fun stuff coming up for sure. Yeah, for sure. That is awesome. And, and uh, as a reminder to folks, I have to make sure to, to like the brew bank on Facebook because they do a great job of keeping people up to date on there. And they also do have a great Instagram page for all the Instagrammable food um, as well. So you can get some good inspiration if you're ever looking for something for dinner. It's, it's always good to check out their social media pages. You'll get some good uh, good inspiration there. Um, and folks uh, still can come for curbside and to-go orders too. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. We yeah, for use, sure. Uh, both of uh, not just food, but cocktails and uh, growlers as well. Yeah. You can order online if you don't want to uh, use your phone to talk to people. <laughs> awesome. All, all streamlined. So very cool. Yeah. I, I thought the greatest thing was I got a, a to go cocktail one time and I was like, this is like an adult Capri Sun. This is amazing. <laughs> this is the oh, best. <laughs> this is what I've waited 32 years for. Exactly. Finally here. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, that's great. Well, Ryan and Dusty, thanks so much for hanging out with us and getting to share about your awesome location downtown. Uh, it's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. It's uh, been fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, again, I encourage you all to head downtown. Rather, you're dining out, dining you know, in person. They do have a great patio space out there now. Um, or if you're ordering uh, to go or curbside to, to check out Brewbank and check out and, and keep coming back and seeing what you're going to, what you can find the next week because it will change um, every time you come in. So definitely encourage you to, uh, to visit that and to check out the mixology classes and the beer dinners that they'll have coming up as well for some safe and socially distant uh, good times uh, with your partner and with others as well. So Ryan and Dusty, thanks again so much for being here. For everybody else, go ahead and stay tuned. After the break, we are going to be back with the Roundup. And so we're going to talk about all the craziness that's been happening in the state, local, and national level of politics and government because it's been another doozy of a week. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, coming up next, Hot Ballots and Brews.
Welcome to another week of The Roundup, where we go through the latest happening at the local, state, and national levels of government. We're going to start, as always, close to home, right here in Top City. The City Council met on Tuesday night uh, to take up a couple different issues. But first things first, we've got to talk about that opening prayer we had. Uh, yes, in fact, every City Council meeting does open up with an invocation. Uh, the moment is optional, and each City Council member takes turns getting the chance to offer the invocation each week. What's kind of cool is that oftentimes the council members will invite a community member from a local church, typically in their district, to lead the prayer. Uh, this week was Councilwoman Valdivia Alcala's turn, and she introduced one Pastor uh, Theotis Williams from True Holiness Family Church to lead the prayer. It's worth noting that not only did Pastor Williams kill it when it comes to the prayer, but he also probably wins for best dress in the city council chamber uh, that night. That man's tie sparkled, and I I was kind of jealous. Uh, funny side note, immediately following the invocation, the council does the Pledge of Allegiance. And you got to remember, about half the council members attend their meetings via Zoom. And I don't know if you've ever tried to say anything in unison on Zoom, but it doesn't quite work the same. So it was kind of special. Uh, one other cool moment that did happen at the beginning of the meeting, Mayor Dale Isla presented the Troy Scroggins Award, uh, which is presented to deserving individuals and organizations for their efforts and furthering the mission of the Topeka Human Rights Commission. Uh, that mission is to ensure fair and equal rights to all citizens of Topeka. Pretty cool, right? Uh, this year's individual award was presented to Marietta Patterson of New Mount Zion Church for her work in highlighting the remaining plaintiffs from the historic Brown versus Board of Education case. The organization award was presented to the New Mount Zion Church Outreach Ministry for their work in supporting young people of all ages throughout their community. See, y'all, this is why local government is so cool. You get to hear great stories like this about people actually making a difference in their community. So just remember this warm, fuzzy feeling when we talk about national politics later. Uh, the big topic, once again, at the City Council remained the Topeka Zoo. This is going to be a theme for the next few weeks at Council meetings. Zoo Director Brendan Wiley was back with his fancy draft face mask, and this time the topic was all about money. Uh, the Zoo continues to talk with leaders about what a different, more private uh, public-private partnership model could look like for governing the zoo. And as we talked about last week, currently the zoo functions just like a department of the city government, which means that their money and their budget comes from the city budget. Um, and any building, facility improvements, things like that that they're going to do would have to come from the city's uh, capital improvement plan. The zoo does have a plan for what their budget would look like if they changed to a more private model of governance. And Zoo Director Wiley went through this plan with city council members. Essentially, the Friends of the Topeka Zoo nonprofit would set fees uh, and be responsible for raising money for the zoo, and they would also then retain the revenue that comes from the zoo. Now, if you're still a little confused by this, you're in good company. Uh, some of the city council members also expressed confusion uh, as well as to what exactly the zoo is proposing to transition to and how they would cover, for instance, expenses if the city no longer cover them. So it's safe to say that you're going to be hearing a lot more zoo talk over the next few weeks, so get excited. Uh, on the state side of things, there was some exciting progress on the technology front, which sounds odd to say when it comes to state government. Anytime I use a government computer and it's not Windows 95, I'm still kind of shocked. Uh, but actually, last week, Governor Kelly signed a bill to form the Office of Broadband Development with the goal of expanding internet coverage for underserved rural communities in the state. Current research shows that about 20 to 30% of the state's rural population 
lacks access to basic broadband service. And this, of course, has an impact on all sorts of things, not the least of which is economic development. This has been a challenge, of course, for years, but there is something about a global pandemic which requires you to spend 11 million hours online that probably added some renewed focus on this effort. And speaking of the joys of technology, we've come such a long way, haven't we? I mean, we have phones that can do just about everything now, but mow your lawn. Um, they even take video. Uh, Senate President Susan Wagle may be regretting that last development in this last week as video surfaced of the senator speaking at a private donor event for Renee Erickson, a candidate that's running uh, to take her place in the state Senate. Uh, in the video, Senator Wagle is speaking to the donors at the event and says, quote, during redistricting, I need to be able to give her, Renee Erickson, some more Republican neighborhoods in order to make sure she stays elected. End quote. She then went on to say that with redistricting around the corner, it's important for the legislature to have super majorities in both chambers of the legislature in order to override any veto that Governor Kelly may make. Now, it's worth mentioning that this is probably a small case of saying the quiet part out loud. Everyone knows redistricting is a partisan game on both sides to try and configure districts to your party's liking. However, the blatant admission to this fact by the Senate's leader definitely caught many off guard uh, and drives home really what's at stake in in the legislature this year when it comes to elections. Uh, While Republicans have a comfortable majority in both chambers of the Kansas legislature, Democrats only need one more seat in the Kansas House or three more in the Kansas Senate to stop Republicans from having that crucial two-thirds supermajority they need to overturn a veto by Governor Kelly. So high stakes happening in those those elections. Um, And then finally, venturing into the world of national politics, we start off with a debate. Uh, Not the presidential one, because that one's not happening, but here in Kansas, where we're not quite as cray-cray, KSNT hosted a second congressional district debate on Wednesday night between Republican State Treasurer Jake LaTurner and Democrat Michelle De La Isla, who also happens to be our mayor right here in Top City. I'm happy to say that there are no flies involved in this debate. Uh, the debate actually only lasted a half hour, and yet I seem to learn more about each candidate than I did about either candidate in the first presidential debate. Uh, the candidates were quick to draw some very clear distinctions between each other, starting with health care. As anyone with a television knows, Michelle De La Isla has been gun running uh, ads uh, that link Jake LaTurner to former Governor Sam Brownback and the failure to expand uh, Medicaid coverage in the state. Uh, Daily Isla doubled down on that charge during the debate, adding that LaTurner would do away with coverage for pre-existing conditions. LaTurner defended his stance as being patient-centered and knowing he would not support uh, dropping coverage for pre-existing conditions, and that he supported ending the practice of surprise billing. Surprise billing being something that's got a lot of attention uh, in this debate cycle. Uh, this question also got the candidates talking about the influence of outside groups on the election, uh, with Turner accusing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi of sending hundreds of thousands of dollars into Kansas to help Bill Isla win this race, a charge that the mayor flatly denied. And just a side note here, does anyone else ever feel like Republicans treat Nancy Pelosi as Beetlejuice? Like, if we say her name three times, she's going to just magically appear with a bottle of white Zinfandel and a subpoena for Trump's taxes. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, anyway, uh, the ba- 
debate also touched on the issue of race, with Turner noting that we should not make attempts to rewrite history and doubling down on his accusations that Mayor De La Isla supported the defund the police movement. Uh, the mayor responded by affirming her support for law enforcement, saying, quote, I absolutely love my police officers, end quote, and pointing out that in the video from the march that uh, that's used in Jake Turner's campaign uh, ad, she's actually marching next to the police chief. Uh, Turner continued to focus on the detrimental impact of recent protests on the morale of police officers, uh, while Dale Isla explained that funding for local law enforcement has actually increased during her time as mayor. The debate closed out with two more super easy and non-controversial topics, immigration and gun rights, where both candidates, again, drew very clear uh, distinctions between each other uh, before wrapping up with closing statements. Uh, Lajerner's statement focused on why national Democrats have placed so much focus on Kansas, and Delisla attempting to paint herself as a bipartisan choice who would serve people of any party with, quote, dignity and grit. Unfortunately, as awesome a moderator as Bob Beatty is, he does not have access to the fancy polling technology that CNN has, so we don't know who viewers thought was the winner, but suffice it to say there are some very sharp differences separating these two candidates, and there's still plenty of time for lots of more lots more money to roll into both candidates' campaigns. Now, I mentioned this week would have been the next presidential debate in Miami, which was scheduled to be a town hall-style event. Uh, how after, uh, however, after organizers decided to convert that into a virtual event, the president withdrew. I'm presuming because he doesn't have a cool Zoom background picked out. Uh, but never to fear, the major networks have decided to step in and save the day by offering each candidate their own separate town hall discussions. And I'm sure both networks have coordinated with each other and that this, this decision will not come back to hurt them in any way. And oh, let's check Twitter to see what people are saying. And oh, yeah, no, it's bad. So here's the deal. ABC News had already planned a town hall with Biden uh, this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and then this morning, NBC promptly came out to announce that they had organized a town hall with President Trump. Also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday. Can you say awkward? So Twitter right now has some thoughts about NBC, and specifically today's show host Savannah Guthrie, who is said to be the moderator for this forum. So I guess if there's a positive, it's you can have two different drinking games, one for the Biden town hall and another for the Trump one. Just trying to find some positive here. Uh, and last but not least, Trump's Supreme Court pick Amy Coney Barrett began her confirmation hearings this week. And these hearings are always somewhat of a spectacle. COVID-19 just makes it even more so this year. Uh, the first day itself was always pretty awkward as a nominee because it's opening statement day. And really, you spend about half the day listening to people from one party say you're a saint and walk on water, while the other half think you are a threat to democracy itself. Oh, and by the way, you just have to sit there the whole time and not react. So I'm pretty sure Judge Barrett's probably never been more glad for a face mask this year. Uh, Democrats are particularly focusing on health care as their central issue in these uh, in this hearing, um, even starting off the week of hearings uh, with dozens of larger-than-life-size portraits of individuals who stand to lose health care coverage or be otherwise affected if the Affordable Care Act is repealed. Uh, it kind of basically transformed the Senate 
hearing room into a weird, larger-than-life version of the game Guess Who. Uh, for their part, Republicans are trying to keep the focus on the judge's qualifications, and Senator John Cornyn even managed to make a meme out of Judge Barrett this week by asking her to hold up the materials she was using for notes. Uh, Barrett, spoiler alert, wasn't using any notes, so she held up a blank notepad, and the internet then did what the internet does with a picture of someone holding a blank notepad, and the memes ensued from there. And that's it, folks. That's enough, I think, for one week. As you can see, again, lots happening at every level, state, local, national, in our governments, which is all the more reason why it's important to make your voice heard this election season. So we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. Um, But right now, we're going to go ahead and kick it to a break. But when we come back, we had Topeka Police Chief Bill Cochran with us today, and we are going to talk about all kinds uh, of issues, you know, all kinds of, of things that have come up in the community in the last year and even before as it relates to law enforcement. So we're looking forward to a really good chat with Chief Cochran. So that's going to be coming up next after the break here on Ballots and Brews. Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer, while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government, and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks, meets the Daily Show, meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. back to Ballads and Brews. We are on our uh, best behavior today because we have the, the top cop in town with us uh, today. We are so excited to have Mika Police Chief Bill Cochran here with us today. Chief, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, we're glad glad to do it. You know, we know there's lots of important things going on in, in town. And so, uh, you know, we thought we'd talk about a couple of different things today. But first off, just wanted to know, want folks to know a little bit more um, about yourself. You know, how long have you been uh, in law enforcement? I started the police department in July 13th of 1987. Okay. Been with the Topeka Police Department the whole time. Oh, really? For the city retirement purposes, it's 33 years. But <laughs> Police and fire, it's 34. Oh, okay. Very good. Are you that speak a native then as well? Well, for the most part, we uh, moved back uh, to Topeka when uh, I was in the fourth grade. Oh, okay. So been here, you know, for quite a few years. Sure. We, we'll, we'll claim you. That works. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've uh, had a, a you know, long career in law enforcement. You know, as you look back at your career, uh, you know, how has law enforcement changed, uh, you think, since you started? Well, I think the biggest change uh, that I've noticed is a lot of our work is not really centered around what you would say are called traditional police work. Now sure. there's a lot more... Uh, social service type of work that's involved. Sometimes you have to be a counselor. Sometimes you're a social worker. Sometimes you're a maintenance person. Uh, <laughs> it's the, you know, it, it's changed in the aspect of the expectations of what citizens 
uh, want from police officers. Oh, for sure. And I, I, I would suspect, I think that's something that a lot of people have, have commented on is the changing role and expectations for, for law enforcement in our community. Uh, when you think about uh, today in, in our community and the role that law enforcement plays in Topeka, you know, if you had to think about what are some of the top um, uh, challenges uh, that you're working to address in our community um, or your kind of top priorities uh, for the department here in Topeka, what would those be? Well, I think there's uh, several that kind of uh, jump right out. Uh, first one is uh, dealing with individuals who have behavioral health issues. Mm. One of the things that we started is our uh, crisis intervention team, which is uh, training officers in how to deal with individuals with behavioral health issues. And that uh, has evolved into where we now have a full-time behavioral health unit where we have officers assigned to work those specific type of calls. And they work hand-in-hand with a... Uh, social worker, case manager from uh, Vallejo, who is in the field with the officers. They uh, can either ride with the officers or they have their own car and radio. Officers go to a call, get it stabilized, and then they can call them over to assist. And what that really does is, uh, you know, really helps in decriminalizing uh, mental illness and behavior health issues because what that happens is officers then once the scene is secure and everybody's safe then then look into what are uh, some possible treatments uh, treatments available what resources are available um, and taking individuals to facilities as opposed to taking them to jail and then involving those um crisis responders from Vallejo, that that really helps. And uh, sure. So one, another one, as you know, is, is dealing with uh, um, the unsheltered population. Mm. That's one of the things we have a, a hot team, homeless outreach team, which is also embedded within the uh, behavior health unit. And they work very closely with uh, Vallejo's homeless outreach team, as well as Topeka Rescue Mission. And the goal there is to engage those individuals who are unsheltered, uh, try to provide them services uh, and resources and alternatives to uh, the type of environment that that they're living in and how do you improve their quality of life. So those are two of the really big ones. And those are continually challenges that we, we deal with on a routine basis. Sure. Well, that, you know, speaks to what we just talked about. You know, we talk about the changing role of law enforcement and changing expectations and that sort of thing, you know, dealing with that um, social aspect uh, side of things and some of those social determinants of health that we know are really important in the community. You know, it sounds like that work um, is really in furtherance of, of addressing a lot of those challenges. Yeah, that's the um, and I think that's the thing. And, you know, and officers understand that now that. uh you know the, the the new the new type of police officer that that, that the public demands. It's uh, not like it was when I started. You know, back in in the late eighties. You know, uh, there was a. We really, we really did all. All we really did was police work. We didn't really engage the community. We didn't really engage the public and how to uh, work together and how you forge those partnerships and 
now that's really 180 degrees opposite of sure sure well and you know when we think about uh this year specifically too we know uh the challenges that COVID-19 has brought in lots of ways uh in our community when it comes to uh people individuals mental health um and when it comes to also some of the economic realities that people have been faced with do you have you seen this year as COVID-19 driven any impact in uh, any increase in terms of crime rates or or things like that throughout the community well, the COVID-19 is one of those things that really um, brought a lot of changes that I don't think anybody ever anticipated. Sure. And I think when COVID really started, there was so much uncertainty as to what uh, was going to happen, um, how lethal was the virus and things like that. It did change the way in which we did business and we changed it uh uh, how we responded to certain types of calls. One of the things that we wanted to do was really limit our um, interaction with the public. Sure. Uh, and so a lot of those things were drawn back. Calls were worked differently. We started working more calls over the phone. Uh, and so, and as you know, uh, we do a lot more things like this as opposed to in person. Sure. Boards, boards and committees that we're on and all that, you know, meet via Zoom or whatever. And so those are things that change a lot of dynamics. And so for law enforcement, uh, those things follow suit. There wasn't near the community events that we normally attended. As you know, National Night Out is a prime example that was uh, canceled. Uh, and we're looking forward to next year. Yeah. But it's Things like that. And when you talk about that opportunity to engage the public in different formats and surroundings and environments, uh, we, we kind of lost that. And so those are things that we're looking at. How do we reestablish those? Does it look different? What else can we do uh, to supplement that? So when you talk about COVID, yeah, COVID really changed the the playing field, I, I think, you know, for society. And when we look at it now, it's still not you know, back to where we want it to be. Um, you know, I it, face mask, as I told my wife, I said <laughs> that's five five months ago that face mask would have been a business to go into. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, is that something that is here to stay or, you know, is that something that will evolve out of in, in years to come? I, I don't know. When you look at some other places and other countries, you know, people wear masks all the time. So, right. Yeah. It's, uh, I told someone the other day, so two things I wish I had invested in at the beginning of this pandemic. One was Zoom and the second was whoever makes face masks. <laughs> two companies yeah. have done very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're exactly right. <laughs> uh, you know, when you think about uh, the community as a whole and kind of the impact of COVID, have you seen that uh, have any impact on crime rates as well? Have, uh, have there been rises in various types? Types of crimes uh, or it's it's a crime since the onset of COVID. Well, yeah, um, you know, for the most part, um, you know, crime pretty much stayed for us relatively steady as compared to years past. And part of that is individuals that commit crime commit crime. Sure. When stay stay at home order, they weren't staying at home. <laughs> they, were, they were out doing their thing. Right. But we did we did experience. Um, an increase in some violent crimes. And I think mm -hmm. that just had to do with everything that was going on 
you know, uh, in our society. Well, and especially, you know, during the stay at home orders, when you had people who were, who were cooped up inside a lot as well. You know, we talked about from my nonprofit experience, you know, I know that we had a lot of concern about domestic violence, for instance, with people who maybe were confined in a situation that wasn't safe to begin with and then uh, were, were confined to that situation for an extended period of time. Yeah. When domestic violence is a prime example, um, when the stay-at-home orders and stuff like that first started, calls went down, and some some of that period was for the simple fact that the victims were now locked up or sheltered with their abuser, and so uh, the consequences of calling for help or calling for resources put them more in jeopardy or harm's way because they could not escape um, their abuser. Right. You know, the crime, those calls kind of went down for a little bit. And then, you know, they eventually came back to, uh, you know, numbers that we were used to. And uh, I think part of that was things started to wear off a little bit. Uh, uh, things were loosened up. And so people were able to get out and, and things like that. So, yeah, it was very interesting uh, domestic violence, what uh, this pandemic did to uh, the calls, responses, and resources. Uh, so on uh, last week's show, we actually visited with Councilwoman Nager and talked a little bit about this idea of public safety and about how sometimes there's um, a difference between that idea of being statistically safe, um, you know, knowing on paper we could see numbers decreasing and things like that, um, and people feeling safe. Uh, sometimes there's that difference between perception and reality when it comes to public safety. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, I think perception is really the, the key there. If uh, you you have crime numbers and you have statistics and stuff like that, um, and so you get get an idea of crime. But I think the important thing is, uh, if you're not the victim of a crime, then you probably feel safer. And so, you know, a person's perception of whether they're safe or the community safe, I think, really comes down to the simple fact of also, uh, are you a victim of it? Sure. So if you're not, you're going to feel relatively safe. It's kind of like if your house gets burglarized, um, then you have that sense of vulnerability, because when we think about our houses, those are personal kingdoms. That's where we live. That's where we do everything that we do. Uh, and then when those, if you know, you're a victim of a burglary, then your sense of security and safety changes quite drastically. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great point. And, you know, I think there's lots of efforts, not only just on behalf of law enforcement. I think that's something else. Uh, you know, I, I say as a member of the Crime Stoppers board here in the community, you know, we know that public safety isn't something that rests just with law enforcement, that there are things that citizens can do as well to contribute to public safety. Yeah, I think public safety is one of those things that uh, when we talk about community partnerships, that's probably one of the biggest ones. And the main thing is, you know, law enforcement can't be there 24-7, 365 at a person's place. Uh, sure. Or an area. And so that's where the community becomes very important. You know, people ask, well, how can we help the police? Well, the best way to be help the police is be a good witness. If you see something, say something. But that also is one of those things that if... You know that, you know, basically what car your neighbors drive or whatever, and then there's a strange vehicle in front of their house or in their driveway, you know, take note of that. Be aware of it. Maybe take the tag number down, take a description of the car 
And it doesn't necessarily mean you need to call the police at that given time because it may be nothing. It could be somebody dropping off something or whatever. But it's also one of those things that if something does happen and the neighbors say, hey, did you see anything? You go, well, yeah, matter of fact, I did. And so, you know, being aware of uh, what's going on in your neighborhood. Uh, one of the big things is we, as people nowadays, because everybody's so busy, but maybe with COVID it changed a little bit. We really don't know our neighbors as well as we ought to know our neighbors. And the things when we talk about National Night Out, what makes that so important, that's that opportunity, maybe just once a year, but it is that opportunity to get the neighborhood together. And the hopes are that, you know, you get to know everybody around you somewhat and uh, and maintain that respect and stuff for each other. Sure, absolutely. Well, and you know, when we talk about community partnerships uh, and, and working together with the community, of course, one of the things that's happened in 2020 as well has been uh, the, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, throughout our country, but certainly in Topeka as well. Um, and that group has been one that's been having, um, been engaging in some hard conversations uh, with city leaders and elected officials um, and law enforcement as well. Um, and as you look at how uh, law enforcement is working with Black Lives Matter in, in our community, um, you know, what has been your uh, what has been your approach or your reaction to um, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, here locally? You know, one of the things that that uh, you know, I've been telling people here recently is we have a mural on the north side of the police police department called the uh, Common Ground, and I think that's one of the things that we really need to get back to in the aspect of what is a common ground. Um, whether it be Black Lives Matter, Back to Blue, or whoever, everybody has their own views and everybody has their own opinions. And the thing that we got to keep in mind is not one side is going to convince the other side who's right or wrong and vice versa. And so what we really got to look at is say, okay, we have this position and you have that position and we're not going to agree on the answer, but where in between can we come together and have positive uh, outcomes to influence the future of Topeka. You know, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that, um, um, you know, Black Lives Matter uh, is not brand new to Topeka. They've, they've been here in Topeka and, and uh, we've had a very good relationship with Black Lives Matter in the aspect that we have conversation and we talk about things. And, uh, you know, but each side has a position. And it's the same with, uh, you know, protect the badge and back the blue. We have conversations with them. And so I think the thing that we really need to figure out is at some point people do need to come together and, and have conversation. Now, you, you threw out the term tough conversation. That that's an interesting term because one of the things that goes with tough conversation is also tough responses. Sure. And when we talk about tough conversation, that's not just giving one side the ability to say what they feel and then there's no response back because of whatever reason. Sure. Tough conversation is really here's an opinion by one side and then you get to hear the rebuttal as to why you know they don't feel the same way so when you talk about tough conversation it's really means to me more is is it real conversation or is it just one side 
the tough conversation is you get to hear hear my grievance, and that's the tough conversation. Right. Now, the conversation is you hear the grievances, then you also hear the responses, and then you got to figure out that common ground. Okay, how do we make this better? Sure. Well, and, and you know, as you work towards those uh, finding that common ground, you know, one of the things that Councilwoman Nager spoke about last week too was thinking about Topeka-based solutions for these challenges. That you know, there's lots of things, there's lots of noise happening at the national level on all kinds of issues, but really trying to find what are the things that are specific to and work best in Topeka. Yeah, and that's a very valid point. Uh, one of the things that I I tell people. We uh, we don't have what's going on at the national level, but we need to be very aware of what's happening at the national level. And then how does that integrate and influence what we are doing at the local level? Uh, You know, the national level is very important because it gives you that bigger perspective of what's going on um, across across the country and the world. And then you have to figure out how does that narrow down and impact what we're doing locally and what influences will that have on the local aspect of things. And then there may be no influence or there may be influence, but figure out then where you're at. I think what's important for Topeka is we've made a lot of progress over the last several years on being involved in the community and that partnership and having open conversations already. Uh, not only did we just have open conversations, but we also did things to improve things um, on, on all around in the community. And so I think that has been very beneficial. The thing that we have to do now is we have to continue to push forward. And how do we get people to come to the table, sit down, have co- meaningful conversation and say, OK, you believe in this. We believe in that. But where we at it in the middle? And how do we improve the quality of life for everybody who lives in Topeka? Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, as part of the effort, I know that there's a lot of work going on with a lot of volunteers from the community as well. Yeah, I know that there's the the strengthening, uh, strengthening police and community partnerships. I think I got that right. Uh, the, the name for that group. But there's been some communities, you know, if people want to get involved in this work, uh, everyday citizens, how would they go about doing that? Well, the, the SPCP. Uh, Strengthening Place Community Partnership is something that's been in existence now for for three years. That's a project that um, we initiated after the Dominic White uh, incident. And that was a way, how do we focus on uh, improving relationships with the community, bridging things with the community? And I think one of the best things with the SPCP is what what we have recognized and uh, the people involved and everybody at the party is that uh, no matter what your opinion is, not everybody's going to share that opinion. And whatever your belief is, not everybody's going to share that belief. But the important thing is it's an organ, it's a group that's actually able to engage in conversation, say, hey, we think this would help. This might be better. This might be a recommendation. And then those are things that uh, we look at. And is it something that we can integrate with the uh, uh, property maintenance code or the Topeka Police Department or uh, public housing venues or whatever. So it's not just focuses on issues with uh, law enforcement in the community. It deals with community issues as a whole. And if you want to get involved in that, you can uh, Google SPCP or you can go to the City of Topeka Police Department website 
And there's always, you know, the information on how to get a hold of us and how do you get involved in uh, things like that. Uh, the important thing, I think, with the SBCP is one of those things that when people come to that, they don't need the, don't come with an agenda in the aspect of this is what we're going to change or whatever. But come with the agenda that, hey, this is a recommendation. Can we talk about this? Is this something that benefits us or does it not benefit us? And, uh, you know, those are some of the things. One of the biggest things that came out of the SPCP early on in one of the meetings we had was uh, how do we get young people involved and how do we mm-hmm. engage more uh, and, and, and get them more educated on the law enforcement system? And so one of those suggestions was how do we get the Explorers program uh, in tune with more of our high school age uh, young people throughout the city of Topeka? Sure. You know, that's a tremendous idea because the Explorers program gives them that ability to have contact with law enforcement in a positive manner, learn about what's going on and uh, some of those things. And so, you know, that was one of those. And as a result, you know, we have uh, uh, officers and and we have a professional track out of TCALC with USD 501. We also now teach a curriculum at the freshman and sophomore level as well as out of TCAL. And the three officers that teach those programs, uh, they're actually, uh, um, you know, they're, they're courses. There's a curriculum and all that other stuff. Uh, they're certified substitute teachers, so they have some credentialing behind them. We made sure they got that. And so they engage these young people in an educational uh, environment. And at the end of the day, when they're done with TCAL, then they're set up to get uh, some college credits and stuff like that. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, it's, yeah, it's been great to see the, the progress that, 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 that group is making. And so I'll be excited. I know that there will be uh, more things to come in the future. Uh, and speaking of the future, you know, one thing we'll end with is, um, you're actually, uh, looking at retirement soon here at the end of, of this year. Uh, you know, what are you looking forward to most about, about retirement coming up? <laughs> Well, I think uh, for retirement, for me, it's, uh, you know, it's time for a change in the aspect that, um, you know, I've worn a uniform my entire life, whether it's with the Army uh, or with the police department or a combination of both when I was in the National Guard. And, you know, so looking back on things, uh, 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 I feel I've I've had a great run. It's, It's been an honor and a pleasure and all that. Uh, and I feel very good about what I've done for uh, my community and, and state and our nation. But uh, uh, I guess I'm you know looking forward to being a grandpa. We just had our first <laughs> grandpa about six weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, when that's due the first part of December. Oh my gosh. So yeah, two and four months. So uh, looking forward to uh, being a grandpa and uh, and hopefully uh, turn them into great golfers. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's certainly certainly time that's well deserved for sure. Chief, thank you so much for for being here today. It's lots of lots of good information. I know our, our listeners will really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely, and thank you for for your service as well as you approach retirement. Thank you. Well, and folks, go ahead and stay tuned. We've got one more break, and then after that, we will do our take action moment for today, where we'll talk about ways that you can be more involved with this work and and other things that we've talked about on today's program. So stay tuned. Balance and Brews will be right back.
as we always do here on Balance and Bruise with our Take Action Moment. And you know, Dusty and Ryan uh, earlier in our program really helped things come full circle when they talked about how they had to get the legislature's help and approval to pass a new law that made it legal to have self-served uh, beer taps downtown. And it really was the perfect example of how our elected officials and public policy touch really every part of our lives, even the beer we drink. Uh, with that said, we are just 18 days from Election Day. Uh, for those of you that have requested a mail-in ballot, those ballots um, have started going out, so you should start to receive those in the next week. For those that are looking to vote in advance in person, your day is coming on uh, next Monday. Uh, you can start doing that at the Shelby County Election Office at 3420 Southwest Van Buren. One important note that the Election Office did put out earlier this week, some reminders. If you're voting by mail, one of the requirements of doing so is that you have to sign the envelope when you return it. And there's some instructions on the envelope when you get it, but you must sign that envelope or your ballot will not be counted. So again, remember, sign your ballot before you turn it in. That is one of those common mistakes that they're warning people about when it comes to mail-in voting. So make sure to sign that ballot. Uh, and you can return your ballot in a number of ways we talked about before. You can mail it back. You can also hand deliver it to the election office or we actually are going to have two ballot drop boxes placed throughout the community and you can place them in there to return them as well. Uh, finally today, you heard Chief Cochran talk about partnerships between the Topeka Police Department and the community. Uh, one of those is the Strengthening Police and Community Partnerships Committee. If you're interested in becoming a part of that committee or council, you can go to topeka.org slash tpd slash spcp for more information. topeka.org slash tpd slash spcp. Uh, that council is going to be hosting public meetings as well, uh, where public is invited to come and give comment. You can also find that information on the website. Uh, and just in general, the Topeka Police Department website has some pretty good information on it, including also information on the Citizens Academy, which is another program that's open to any resident to learn more about the police department and how it works. And folks, that's it for our show today. So until next time, stay safe, wear your mask, wash your hands, drink good beer, and we'll see you next time on Ballots and Brews.